and welcome to episode three of Incastinated Unpopular Opinions, brought to you by the Everything Is Black and White podcast. It's been quite a while since we uh, did one of these episodes, I think maybe about two months, maybe even three, uh, just before lockdown. I'm joined by Stuart Jameson, who led the other two podcasts and we've been waiting to come back and hopefully we can bring you a bit of distraction from the takeover saga. Stu, how has lockdown been for yourself? It seems to be going on for ages, I think, doesn't it? Same for everybody else. And I think we're all looking forward to seeing some uh, some proper football coming back this weekend. Or this week, sorry. It's midweek, isn't it? So, yeah, should be good. Um, no, it's all good here. How's yourself? I can't complain. I think you're right. Everyone is looking forward to the Premier League returning. Obviously, Newcastle face Sheffield United uh, on the weekend. On Sunday, we'll bring you a podcast, a brief podcast later in the week. But like I said... Right now, right here, it is Newcastle United Unpopular Opinions. We have five unpopular opinions. We're going to start with the infamous Carl Court, signed by Sibboy Robson in the summer of 2000. And the unpopular opinion is that he wasn't a flop. He was just unlucky. Stu, your initial thoughts on that one? Um, yeah, I guess he definitely was unlucky. I think the question has to be: Did he did he get enough chances to to really establish himself in the team? Um, I don't know. He, he, he scored some good goals, didn't he? If you have a look now at his uh, on his YouTube videos, um, there's some cracking goals in there. Um, I think, remember rightly, and, and I'm sure people are correct as if I'm wrong on this one, but I remember at the time Newcastle were, were linked with. Court or um, Idega Johnson, who I think was a Bolton at the time before he went to Chelsea. Um, and I think with hindsight, they, they made the wrong deal, in my opinion. I think they should have went for, for Johnson, who proved on, I mean, he went to play for Barcelona, didn't he? And, uh, had a great career with Chelsea. Um, but you're right, Court was very unlucky. Um, he just didn't really seem to to fit into Newcastle style of play at any stage when he did get the chance, and, and the injuries just dogged him throughout his, his whole time here. But I'm guessing you're a bit of a fan, though. Well, this isn't mine. This has been this has been sent in. We're discussing it. Mine will come later. My opinion for this episode, and I already know it is a very unpopular opinion. But we'll get into that later. Call Court. I don't know. Do you know? I'm not really sure what Newcastle saw him in, in the first place. I think he'd only scored nine goals um, for Wimbledon in the Premier League season before that. Then spent seven million. He wasn't prolific. You mentioned Good Johnson there. There was also. Uh, Emil Mpenza, who ended up at Man City. Now, he didn't pull up any trees when he eventually went to Man City, but he no. was an option that um, was recommended to, to Sir Bobby and they, they went for Colcourt instead. Uh, now, he scored on his home debut, but then it was injuries, like you said, that cost him. And he was out for a very long time, but he did come back in the March of 2001 and hit hit five in 10 games. And I think at that moment, everyone was thinking, well, you know, if he can get through pre-season, he can start the new campaign fit and rare and to go, then we might have a have a player on on our hands. Yeah, and, and some of those goals you said were, were really good goals. I think everyone remembers that game against Everton on I think it was a Good Friday or an Easter Monday. I think it was Good Friday. Oh. Yeah, um, but he's, you know some some fantastic finishes there. Um, there was undoubtedly a player. I think what you got to look at is, is where he went to after Newcastle. He really didn't do much after he left us. So it's not as if he just had a, a bad time at Newcastle. And then sort of, you know, went on, someone like, say, John Dahl Thomason, who went on to have a, you know, a, a really good career after leaving Newcastle. It didn't really happen from then. But I think you'd be right to say injuries played a big part. Um, you know, every, every strike and he's a good run in the team. Uh, and as you say, you pointed out with those stats, when he did get a run, his, his goal-to-game ratio wasn't wasn't bad at all, to be fair, was it? 
Um, so maybe there's something in the fact that he was a bit unlucky. I think you might be right there. Yeah, I think it was injuries just cost me. Just seemed to succumb to injury after injury. Only 22 appearances in the four seasons he was at Newcastle. Then he went off to Wolves and he ended up in more beer and, and what have you. He runs a, a soccer school now over in Las Vegas. Um, so he's teaching kids of the of the future, players of the future, the ways of the game. So we'll see if his academy manages to uh, unearth any gems over there in the MLS. But yeah, I mean, what are we saying then? Are we saying flop or are we saying just unlucky? I'm going to say flop. Sorry, Carl, but I think it was. Well, I thought I'd agree with you on that one. I think unlucky with injuries, but probably the wrong signing. I think also they wanted Craig Bellamy was another name mentioned at the same time. Obviously, they got him later on. Um, that, that, actually, that's a very good point. Because you, I didn't really see him playing alongside Alan Shearer. Well, that's um, thing, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I'm not similar players in terms of talent and goals and what have you, but in terms of maybe. Uh, the way they play, you know, obviously you'd look to get the ball on the head of both. So yeah, you, you, you can probably make that point as well. So flop. So just in case you are listening, Carl, we're sorry. Um, we're going to put you in the, in the flop box. Um, on to, un- 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 Stu's pulling a weird face there. It's a box of, you know, the flops of Newcastle United. I don't, I think it's that's a big a, box. It is. A, it is a size of a box. Yes. Um, on to the unpopular opinion uh, number two, the second unpopular opinion, and this is Stu's pick. I'm going to say, even before you read this one out, this is not going to go down very well, I don't think. Would you like to introduce your unpopular opinion? I think it's the, the Hatton Ben Arthur time at Newcastle was up. I think it was, it was overrated as a, as a Newcastle. I don't think anyone really calls him a legend, to be fair. And that, um, even Alan Pardew who uh, no one likes technology, got much right in Newcastle, got it right when he when he shipped him out at the end. Are you, so are you saying that it, it, it was the right time for him to go, or are you saying in general his time at Newcastle United is kind of seen through, not beer goggles, but, you know, it's kind of painted differently to the reality? Well, there was, there was that one season, obviously the, the season where everyone remembers when Newcastle got close to the, uh, the Champions League, which was superb. And he was he had a great season that year. Um, but I don't think anyone could could uh, could argue against that. It's vital part of the, especially when they had a three pronged attack with Denver Ball and Papi Sisse, Ben Arthur. I mean, they were they were superb together. And I don't think anyone could argue that, he's, that how much ability he's got. Um, we've seen it so many times. You know, everyone remembers those goals against Bone, against Blackburn that were seen on YouTube loads. But I think that's the point. I think you can look back on these uh, and these highlights reel, and it looks amazing. Um, I just think he was a player that people are remembering because obviously all those matches where he just disappeared, didn't do anything. Obviously, they didn't get shown on a highlight reel, do they? And I think there was far too many of them. There was an interesting piece which our colleague um, Kieran Kelly did today where loads of his teammates speaking highly about him, how, how a great player he was, what a, what a nice person to have around the place was. Um, and they all just said he didn't do it in training, never bothered because he didn't have to because he just turned up on match day and was good enough. And I think that's fine. You know, someone like James Perch being very honest saying he, he knew he could never do what Ben Arthur did. So he had to put it in 110% in training just to make sure he was competitive the first team. That's fine. I can guarantee you, Lionel Messi, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, Thierry Henry, everybody, all those players put it in just as hard in training. Ben Arthur didn't. And there you got you got a waste of talent at the end. Remember, he, he was massively overweight when Newcastle eventually got rid of him. He dropped to the reserves, did nothing there. 
went to Hull and we had that infamous match where he, the goalkeeper touched the ball more times than he did at Hull under Steve Bruce, I think it was, wasn't it? It was. And they yeah. shipped him out instantly. Again, he went to France and sort of re- resurrected his career. I think it was at Nice, wasn't it? It was. But when he got uh, a big chance again, nah, didn't do it. Well, you and then whilst, you know, someone like someone of his ability was, was fantastic to get people off their seats at St. James's Park. But it just didn't. There's so many times when he didn't deliver. And I think it's far too easy now, 10 years since he joined, to look back at those little glimpses of what he did do. And there's, there's actually not that many of them. When you have a look at it, they're brilliant when you watch them, some of the goals he scored. But there ain't that many of them. For the considering he's here for, for four seasons, given he did have a broken leg for the first six months, to be fair, on which was uh, he did about to come back from. Harsh, I think. Because it was a, the, probably the brightest time in Newcastle's history in the last sort of fifteen years, you would argue that season. But I still think he was an overrated player. Well, you mentioned that that season Newcastle nearly qualified for the Champions League, and he still only managed thirty appearances um, in all competitions in that year, and he only made eighty-six appearances altogether for Newcastle because of injuries and then obviously the fallout. But I guess it's difficult, isn't it? Though, because I, I I get the, the I get the point you're making, but I I argue I think and I think many football fans will argue that when you're talking about a player, you you never really remember the bad bits. You're always gonna you know that it's that kind of old cliche of you know, I'm gonna tell the grandkids about this player. Hatton Ben Arthur will probably be one of them players because of the things that we remember him doing. And yeah, he didn't do it consistently. But when he did do it, you were just off your seat. You were just, you know, you were amazed um, at what he did. And it's it's probably a case that you would say misunderstood rather than overrated would be my opinion, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, perhaps that's, that's a fair point. And it, was, it worked really well on that side because you had players who, even like Kabai, who were a tremendously creative player, but also covered a lot of ground. You had Czech Teori that covers a lot of ground. You had Danny Simpson, who again, I think was mentioned in Kieran's piece, who was, you know, often played behind Ben Arthur, who understood him, knew what he had to do to allow Ben Arthur to do what, what he was capable of doing. And, and that's fine. It worked really well. I think you had it going back to the Keegan years with, with John Beresford and David Ginola, a similar relationship. You know, he understood that if I do my job properly, it allows this fantastic talent to do, to do their job even better. Um, you had people like Barnes, he say up front who, again, you know, used to cover the ground a lot. So, so it did work. As soon as that side, the following season wasn't quite the same, I think he gets exposed quite a lot. And, and sometimes it's great to have someone who's able to do that. But also you got to think, right, what are you offering? If things aren't going right, what can then you step up to do? And I don't think Ben Offer was that sort of player. You could say, oh, if things aren't going right today, I need, I need to, to take this on my responsibility and on my shoulders to sort it out. Is Whereas like, a, I might have done that. Is there a bigger point here? Because you've mentioned there, uh, David Ginola, we had Lovin Robert, we've got Alan St. Maxman now. And is there a point, is there, is there an argument to say, well, actually, it's something about what we want as fans, what we want as Newcastle United fans. We just want to be entertained. And yeah, okay, if you don't track back, and yeah, okay, if you go missing for 40 minutes of a game, or an hour, what have you, but then you suddenly turn it on with one great turn or one great flick of a ball, then you'll be remembered for generations to come. And is it a case that maybe it, it's not the player, it's the club, it's the it's the want of the fans and it's it's ready-made for a player of that type, the likes of Ginola who could easily go missing, but then suddenly just whip a ball in or um, like we say, Robert who 
you know, his his career ended in kind of the same fashion as it it's right. Arthur's in a way. Right, yeah. And of course, Alan St. Maxim's only been here um, a season or so, well, not even a season. But, you know, again, some say the end product's not there. Some say he's not consistent enough. And yet, again, watching him this season, okay, he's just he's just exciting to watch. He gets you off your seat. It's like, I'll meet you on. You know, he'll run at the defenders all day long. And it's just what Newcastle United fans love to see. And yeah, maybe it, maybe it's like I say, it's it's the fans' desire to see that entertaining player rather than the player, the criticism for the player maybe being lazy or, or not always. Yeah, I think I think Almiron's a good example because because all those players you mentioned there were all fantastic talents. And, and you're right, I, I didn't want to see Ginola tracking back. He was no good at it. I want him, want him attacking. That's fine because he delivered. All right, and again, you're looking back through slightly rose tinted glasses, and of course, those games where Genoa didn't out, but there were a few and far between. He was always a threat; he would always deliver. Lauren Robert, less so than Genoa, I think, probably, but again, always a threat, always delivered. You, you watch his YouTube thing; it goes on for about 15 minutes of just smacking balls in the top corner all over the place. Um, I think Almiron's a really good example, actually. He does put a lot of work in. He does work hard. And he does try and drag back, and I think it, it's possibly not necessary. We want to do more of that work further up the pitch. Um, and and pass on some of those defensive duties. I know, obviously, we would have been drilled into them from Rafa Benitez, and obviously Bruce has decided to set up you know, the, the work hard as a unit defensively, and I don't think there's a lot of merit in that. But it's fine for the fair player, flair players just to be fair players. I think that's that's perfectly fine, as long as the side allows them to do so. But they have to deliver. I think Sir Maxim is fine. I think he's, he's still very young. Um, I think all the things you've said about him is, is exactly right. He needs to... He needs to have more end product, but it's not for want of effort from him. It's not as if he's just not there, not interested, you know, not putting his foot in, not not trying to do something. I just think it's the technique's not quite there when it comes to that final ball often, but I think it'll come. He's, he's as you say, such an exciting talent. He's great to watch. And, and coastal fans love watching people who get them off the seats. That's, that's what I was going to say. That's why we pay money to go and watch football. That's why we, we pay subscriptions to sit on the couch and watch football coming up. Um, that's what we want to see. Of course, it is, you know, it's especially sad like Newcastle that's not going to win the league at the minutes. So you don't just want to scrap for survival with a lot of people who work hard. You need a bit of flair, don't you? Mm. And that's fine. I'm more than happy with them not track back, but they have to be delivering on a consistent basis at the other end. And I don't think Ben Arthur did. Mm. And I know people are going to look and think of this and go, it's just daft. But in, in a very talented side, he was, he was, he was decent. As soon as, soon as that dropped, he, was, he, he, he couldn't contribute. I think goodbye... Could, could do things by himself. I think Denver Barr would do things by himself and in a poorer team would still be a good player. So as the quality of the team drops generally, Ben Arthur was was almost a burden. I was going to say, well, that is the purpose of the show, getting people to debate <laughs> this. So before I answer, just ask just ask me your unpopular opinion so I know exactly what I'm, what I'm answering. Was Hatton Ben Arthur an overrated talent at Newcastle United? No. I'm gonna say I'm going to say no, because on his day he was an absolute genius. I think, yeah, I think you can tail off and you can go down other avenues with Hatton Ben Arthur, but overrated, no. I'm going to say no. Fair enough. Can't wait for yours now. Well, I I already know that this is another <laughs> part of the opinion. Although I don't know what your opinion on it is, and that's the purpose. We'll get to that later on. The third one then, and it was Daglish. Kenny Daglish did a decent job now. Um, 
it's a, it's always one that provokes an interesting debate. I've seen, um, I've seen True Faith did an interesting podcast earlier this week on it, and yeah. we did one with Gibbo uh, on Gibbo's Corner about the Kenny Daglish shares. Um, and one thing that always sticks in my mind about Kenny Daglish is on the NUFC, I think it's a hundred years history DVD, and um, Freddie Shepard defends Kenny Daglish. He says, you know. Second place, Champions League, FA Cup final. I think his words are something along the lines of not bad for, for 18 months. And we all know what Shearer thinks as well. Alan Shearer said something along the lines of uh, if he'd come two or three down the down the road after Keegan, then he would have been the perfect fit. And I think that, I think that those are the arguments f- to say, that, you know, he, he was unlucky, I think, Daglish. I think, however, the argument of a decent job is probably... It's probably a different one to have. I don't know. What, what, what are your thoughts? No, I think I think it's all about context, isn't it? And, and because it came so soon after the the Keegan era, it, it was inevitably going to be compared with, um, with what Keegan did. Obviously, finished second in that first season, and, and the run. By the way, if you have a look at the fixtures, that from I think it was early March through at the end of the season, I think Newcastle barely conceded a goal. They went down Arsenal won one 0 with a Robbie Elliott goal. And they stormed to second place, including a 5 0 victory over Forest on the last day of the season. Of course, the critics would argue, well, yeah, but that was key inside, wasn't it? Of course, um, Daglish wasn't able to add any players to it at that stage. Um, and also, a lot of people really dismantled the entertainers. I think it probably did, in all fairness. Um, and remember some of the signs he made, such as, you know, the, the Des Hamiltons, the, the people like that, which was very different to what we were used to, with, you know relatively big name players coming in, spending a lot of money, obviously brought the world world record transfer fee for Shearer the previous summer. So within that context, it, it doesn't look particularly great. But as you say, made it the FA Cup final. And and although they were clearly second best on the day to Arsenal, they, they also they did a lot better than they did 12 months later against Man United in the, in the 99 FA Cup final as well. He also brought in some quality players to the club, uh, Shea Given, um, Nobby Solano, uh, Gary Speed, am I right? Gary Speed, Gary Speed. Yeah. Um, Duncan Ferguson, I think, was one of his. Yeah, um, that one, but yeah, I think, I think, I think possibly. Was that, was that to Bobby Duncan Ferguson? Anyway, he brought some quality players to the club. Um, Kitspire wasn't a bad sign, actually. I think, uh, you know, Kitspire had some great years at Newcastle. Did he, man? He signed him. Another, another, you know, although it worked out badly in the end for a man, it was a, a very good sign. Um, and he, he tried to add what Keegan wasn't able to add, which is a little bit of steel to the side. Didn't particularly work out. And I think the, the league form suffered for it the, the next year. And I think Shearer, that quote you just said from Shearer, it would have been perfect. Again, a few down the line. You, know, you look at someone who's, who's won the double with Liverpool, he won the league again with Blackburn. He clearly knows what he was doing. It just came at the wrong time for Newcastle. In that it was, but who, who would have been a good a good fit? I mean, so Bobby Mevies. Hmm. At the time, I think obviously that's yeah, what they that wanted. The wish wasn't it that Sir Bobby? Yeah, because you know we we've all heard the stories. You know he had agreed to come and then he went back on his word because he was a man of principle, which is you know one of one of his many uh, fantastic traits. It was Rude Hullet actually that signed Duncan Ferguson. Was it? Um, in fair enough, <laughs> it was a good sign. I felt in November. Well, well, that'll be that could be a discussion for another another unpopular opinion. Maybe I'm sure that will provoke a lot of discussion. All the points you've mentioned there, you know, replacing Keegan, it was always going to be difficult. It's a bit like who 
whoever came after Rafa Benitez was always going to find it difficult. I yeah. think, like you say, the context is very important, and it get it's a it's applied to to, to Daglish because Keegan was held aloft so highly. They had lost the Premier League title. You know they were expected to keep on challenging, and it's difficult because I think the main point is there were just two such different managers in the way they played and the way they set up their teams. So he was always going to want to leave his mark on on you know, and it was always going to take time. And maybe he dismantled it too quickly. You know, he wasn't helped with Shiva's injury. Yeah, um, he'd already sent Les Ferdinand down the road, and he tried to persuade him not to go. And then obviously Les was a bit angry at being pushed out anyway. And you know, it, there was lots of things that played into it. And you know, it could have been all different had Shiva not had that horrific injury. Definitely, yeah. I, I think you make a good point about the comparison with with leaving with Benitez leaving. Um, I think a lot of fans were um, disappointed that that was someone of Steve Bruce's stature. I think, I, well, I'm, I'm trying not to be kind of Steve Bruce here. I think he's done a, a pretty good job, actually. But, you know, compares someone like Rafa Blies, the record he's got, what he'd done in Newcastle, and then, then compares Steve Bruce's managerial career. I think you can you can understand the the difference and why fans were slightly underwhelmed by that, not even slightly. Um but going back then, actually, they were getting somebody who'd won the league twice within very recently. Um, they were getting one of those top, well, I think probably everyone recognised was, was a top manager in Daglish. Um, so at the time, there wasn't that much. I think most people were quite pleased to have him, actually. His, his public persona probably didn't help him a, little, a lot. Everybody knows kind of Daglish, and, I, and I, that's not me, always says he's, he's a very different person in private. But I'm sorry, you don't see that. And that's fine, you know. That's fine. I have a public persona, a private one, perfectly understandable. But Newcastle fans never, ever, ever saw that side of him. It's always very dour, very monosyllabic, not interested in doing interviews. Where you've got Keegan who stood on the steps of St James's Park to justify standing, selling Andy Court to fans. It's very, very different, um, and you just felt that you know. Whereas Keegan was with the fans every step of the way, so it all felt like we were doing it together. It felt like that the club sort of retreated back a little bit, and that it was you know the team versus everybody else. Um, and I was speaking to the journalists at the time. It wasn't. I don't think it was a very pleasant experience dealing with that. And I know Keegan could could have a sharp tongue when he wanted to. I think most football managers can do. I think you, you sort of need that almost, don't you? But I think it was very different dealing with Dagwish. Um and it just turns everyone a bit sour. Newcastle are no longer everyone's second favourite team now. I know. Many fans say I don't care about that. I just want them being winning, but you know they lost that sort of exciting element to it. Doesn't mean he wasn't a very good manager though. Um, and I think I think the sheer injury plays a massive part in that. I think I remember. I don't know if you remember they went to play against Stevenage in the FA Cup third, third round, uh, and there was a whole lot of Ferrari with them. Um, at the time where Stevenage, I think at the draw, Stevenage said, oh, we'll have to play at St. James's Park, you know, because obviously they wanted the money. And then the Sun came along and said, well, they sponsored the shirts. But they said, but you'll have to play at Stevenage because obviously you get a better chance of an upset then. Well, that's fine. And I remember Newcastle wanted to send a delegation down at the time to to check out, check out for safety purposes. And Stevenage were kicking off about it and all sorts of things. And I think they made a point at the time where Barcelona have let us to come over to check the Newcamp out for their safety things. But Stevenage won't let us do that. And it's just, again, if the Keegan had been in charge, it would have been far better PR 
but Newcastle came out of it looking bad as if they were the, the big club and mm-hmm. wanted demands about this, that and the other. And you just felt they just needed somebody a bit more charismatic at the front of that to say, we can't wait to play you. And then everyone was delighted when, when they drew ones each at the time. I remember it was, the whole country was thrilled, whereas it just felt like such a change 12 months earlier, everyone probably would be still rooting for Newcastle, really. That whole saga is actually on YouTube and the safety officers going down to Steenridge and the cameras are suddenly there in their faces. It's a fantastic watch. I'm sure if you just put into YouTube Newcastle, Steenridge and you get it, it's it's a brilliant, brilliant documentary. Um, Daglish then did a decent job. I think if we put the words in context of what he came into, replacing a legend like Keegan, again, he was he was he wasn't far behind him in terms of what he'd achieved and what he'd done. But I think when you go from you, you could argue that we should do more because he actually actually won stuff. Yeah, yeah exactly. C V. But I think in terms of reputation at Newcastle, obviously Keegan yeah. is a legend as a player. I think that plays a part. We've mentioned Shearer's injury, um, the different styles of play and, and, and management also play a huge part. Um, but coming in and you know, it could have all derailed really badly after Keegan left that January. You know, Newcastle could have just slid down the table. Um, we know they did the following season, but they finished second, had Chapman's League experiences that famous night against Barcelona. Yeah, I mentioned that, yeah, of course. You know, and yeah, I think in context in what he was coming into, I, I wouldn't, I, I, do you know what? I'll agree with that. I think Kenny Daglish did a decent job. Yeah, completely agree. And there we have it. Is that maybe the first time we've... I think so. Might be, you know. Oh, no, no. Yeah, sorry, Colcourt. We agreed on that. You oh, are. Of course, yeah. Just just five minutes ago. <laughs> um, on to number four then. And this was definitely going to be an interesting one. That should the takeover go through, there'll be a little bit of what if, a little bit of sorrow that Mike Ashley didn't turn your cast United into the powerhouse that he could have done. Given that he came in, when he bought the club off Freddie Shepard and Sir John Hall, he was probably, what, the third, fourth richest person in the Premier League because he was a billionaire by then. Um, and I think the point being made here is that you will look back and yes, there'll be anger and yes, there'll be, well, mainly anger, I think, at the way things have gone over the last 13 years. But there'll be quite a bit of regret and sorrow that actually... Amanda Staveley and her consortium will, will be buying a club that needs a lot of investments on and off the field when in reality they could be buying a club that you know should be a, a stable top six side in the Premier League and, and not have two relegations you know on its on its books 100% I mean if you go back to, to when he first bought the club everyone was, was very excited Um you know, people people forget that the stick that the Freddie Shepherd used to get when he was in charge, um, and I think, well, I know for a fact everyone was 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 delighted that there was you know Newcastle were hopefully going to be big players in the in the transfer market and, and be able to compete financially with, with the, the clubs at the very top of the table. I think it, by that stage it had, it had moved on from you know the, the sort of the Keegan years and and he, sort of the even Sir Bobby in the early two thousands when. Newcastle were able to go out and, and and not compete for the top players, but certainly sign the you know the, the second tier of, of players, which they then with with top coaching, moulded into, into a really good side. Um, but yeah, it just it just didn't happen, did it? From day one, I mean, obviously, 
we got rid of Alvice relatively quickly, and that was such an awful side. But then the whole Keegan saga, I think people started to realise pretty quickly when when it wasn't happening under Keegan and it wasn't given particularly huge amounts of money to spend, although he, he did spend a fair bit on the likes of Colachini and Gutierrez. That's the one summer he did have. Um, it wasn't quite working for him. I mean, I remember after that, I think it was the first game of the, the season where Keegan left. I think it was a bit man new and they had some of these good players. The player Keegan raved about was Danny Guthrie because you just felt that because that was the one player that actually Keegan wanted to sign and you didn't know how much other players were being forced upon him. And then, of course, it all came out very quickly that the likes of Nacho Gonzalez and Cisco were being signed without his, his knowledge. And then it just it just unraveled from there, didn't it? So that's really quickly in Ashley's ownership. Um, it just went downhill from there. And, and, and as we mentioned earlier on, they did have that one season under Pardew and they, they managed just to, with the grand car recruitment model, and for that one year, they managed to get players out of France largely, which just worked. But other than that, it's just been, I mean, the one other time he backed his manager, I guess, was when Newcastle were relegated in 2016 under Rafa. He did, he did, he did back him then in that summer, which I think we've discussed before on here. And we, um, mm. But but no, and all, and all that hope, all that pictures of him with fans, which I know look really cliched and big gauche now, don't they? Well, actually, you know, wearing his Newcastle shirt in the way end of certain games. I think he went to the way end at Sunderland. At the time, that everyone was genuinely excited about this. Everyone thought we've got someone who understands it. We've got someone who cares. We've got someone who's going to you're going to buy into the whole experience as a fan. And it, that that just feels like a million miles away now, doesn't it? It does, and it is. It's. I mean, I I totally agree with this with this uh, opinion um, because I just look back and I just think. Yeah, the budget. It, you could have spent a bit more money. You could have brought in the right people, and it's all good saying this in hindsight. But I'm going to say it because I just think that a massively missed opportunity. I mean, you look at the way Leicester are now, and yeah. they're streets ahead. And even if this takeover goes through, Newcastle are still going to be two, three, four seasons behind them. When in reality, there was an opportunity for Newcastle. Around about the time that they first got relegated, um, up until the second time, that that was the kind of window of opportunity to to really build yourself as a as a top four, top five side. You know, when Newcastle qualified for Europe, they should have gone on and spent money. They only bought Werner and Eater in. You know, Mike Ashley's checklist of things he should have done is <laughs> very long in the day, isn't it? Um, and it's just for me, it is one of regret and just what if? Because you know, if we brought in the right people in the first place, we wouldn't have had two relegations on the cards. And then once Newcastle finished fifth, if you'd just gone out and just backed Alan Pardew, and I mean, people argue that Alan Pardew probably shouldn't have been backed with tens of millions of pounds, but that's not the argument. Yeah. Well, it's it's, it's interesting, he, he gave him that eight year contract. So, so why not? He's, to, be, to be fair, apology. He just delivered a fifth place finish in the in the Premier League with not a huge amount of spending. Yes, yes, mm-hmm. you know, they the, bought the likes of of Kabai, um and and Bar, well, Bar was a free, but obviously they, they, they paid a fair whack in agent fees, and that's he said they spent a bit of money on. So, so fine, yeah, you know, they, they spent a bit of money, but he, he showed what he could do. So surely, it, you know, you weren't, you didn't need to spend, you know, buying another half a team again. It was just strengthening in key places. I, I think that's what all top teams do, don't they? You don't, you don't scrap your team and start again. You, once you've got a good thing, you just keep adding to it one or two positions each time. 
<laughs> that would be perfectly sensible. So you weren't talking about spending a fortune. Mm. And as you say, they bought, they bought one player. It was a bit of a utility player. And that was it. Uh, and, and that deal with a, a European campaign the next season as well, which they just, just didn't have the squad to deal with. Um, they saw some of the teams that were playing in the Europa League where obviously a lot of the young kids got the chance. And the, to be fair, they did quite well there in the bit of the quarterfinals, didn't they? Yeah, but yeah, I think that's a very good point. Uh, that was that was another time after after that initial the whole Keegan thing, which I think obviously he's never going to lose win a popularity contest with Kevin Keegan and Newcastle, quite rightly. Um, that was a second chance, wasn't it? They'd done, you know, they'd, they managed to get promoted despite <laughs> just completely neglecting the manager's job or something. And Chris Hutton did an amazing job straight in the championship. He'd even managed to move on from Hutton, where you know. Where, the Pardew fans are seen to forgive him for that. Um, but yeah, another wasted opportunity and and then there's been really no way back since then, has there? Uh, yeah, it's uh, frustration. So the the important opinion was that this person's first thought when the club gets sold is that there'll be a little bit of regret that Mike Ashley didn't take the club as far forward as he could have done. Are we saying that we agree with that or we don't? Yeah, 100% agree. Not an unpopular opinion then, because I agree. No. Also. This one, though, I feel is an unpopular opinion. I know it already is because of some, some conversations I got into Twitter um, last week. Um, they were very polite conversations, so thank you for that, because sometimes they're not. <laughs> um, so my unpopular opinion for this week is that I would I not only miss the time we had derbies, but I would also like to see both clubs challenging for top honours that is my unpopular opinion your initial thoughts on that Stu I can see why it's unpopular um, no I mean I, you know my role here is sort of sit looking at both clubs actually so I think um, for the North East in general it doesn't help to have uh, something in the league one really does it um, Derby days are what it's all about um, there's nothing quite like it um, and, and we've missed that for four seasons now. Um, it'll be five, one as well, and six possibly as well. It's 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 not great. It's I think for Northeast football, it's healthy to have sides competing with each other. Um, I'm not sure too many Newcastle's fans would say they'd like to see someone competing at the top of the table. I think that's probably a step too far. I think they'd be happy to see them in the Premier League as long as they could beat them twice a season. Let me let me just explain, right? Because. Let's just put you ourselves in the position of um, Manchester City on that day, the BQPR. Fantastic game, brilliant. You win first Premier League title, superb. Um, but then just just multiply that by the fact that not only have you won the Premier League title, you've you've taken it from the grasp of your most fiercest rivals. And I just think that that feeling, if you could bottle it and sell it, you know, it. it I just... I've got a, a, one of my best friends is a, a Man City fan and he talks about that day and he, he has to always talk about, you know, we beat Manchester United. And I just think, yeah, you know, yeah, okay, you, you can you can beat Sunderland in a derby, but, you know, if you're both mid-table or one's battling relegation, the one's battling just to get inside the top 10, yeah, okay, yeah. It's a great feeling to beat your rival. But I think imagine beating them uh, to to the Premier League title, and I know it's it's never going to happen. You know, <laughs> not, never going to not for a while. You know, not 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 in our lifetime anyway. But and I just think that feeling of beating your local rivals to a title would just make it all that bit sweeter. And I I understand 
the reaction I got, and I understand the reaction, I'll get to this, but I stand by it. I just think it would add something that little bit different to winning a Premier League title. And don't get us wrong, I'll take winning the Premier League title in Sunderland in League One any day of the, any day of the week, but I'm just saying, I just think it'd just be a nice experience. It? It, 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 it would be amazing, but I think fans of both clubs, because it obviously works both ways this one, doesn't it? I think if you ask them about it now, it's fine to say, would you like it to be in that situation? But of course, there's also the flip side, isn't it? For every Man City fan who loved that situation, as a Man U fan who it was their worst nightmare come true, really, wasn't it? Yeah. And, and and it, it you got to, but then you know, it's the reaction. Well, actually, okay, you look at it and you say, right, if our local rivals are battling for the Premier League and we've got the capability to do so as well, then you just keep improving year on year, and it has these effects, doesn't it? That you're going to keep building that team and making it more successful to make sure not only are you up there but you're up there above your local rivals. And I just think it has that, could have that role in effect. It's all fairy tales because it's never going to happen. But, you know, I didn't, I just, yeah, I mean, it comes down to the fact that I really miss Derby days. I really miss that, that build up. My, my other best friend is a Sunderland fan and that week that we lead up to the Derby, we don't, we don't speak, that's it, you know, communication cut off because otherwise we'll just wind each other up and <laughs> you've, got, you've got the build up to the game you've got the walking up at St James's Park and then obviously yeah it is topsy-turvy it's like going up on that roller coaster just before you get to the dip that's why I don't like roller coasters I guess but you know I I, I really do miss Derby days and you know I, I just think that I can understand why it's been celebrated by some of the Cast United fans the bad luck that Sunderland have had they're in League One for another season but I think in time, does that not, for me, that just gets a little bit, it loses its, it loses its impact because I'd rather be beating them on, I'd rather be beating them on the pitch. Rather than, the longest uh, time in between derbies has been, I'll probably have to have a look at that. Yeah. Bear in mind, we've got at least another season. I mean, obviously next year, so long you get promoted, Newcastle could get relegated, but that would, it's hmm. the only way, and that's that's talking the twenty one twenty two season is the earliest it could it could happen now. So it's been quite a while. Well, what are your thoughts, Darby? Are you a fan? Are you not? Or? No, <laughs> they're nice afterwards, depending on which side you support and what the result is. <laughs> they are absolute awful things. The games are always atrocious as well. They keep showing them live on TV. And you think, well, why are you doing this? It's always the most kick him, hair him, scare him, chase the ball. Panic matches. I get that, but if, if you're watching, if you're in neutral watching that, you're like, what is going on here? It's just well, like that five one though against Sunderland. You know, five one Halloween two thousand ten, I think it was. Yeah. I missed my train down to Sheffield and because I couldn't get through Central Station because the police were there, you know, doing what they had to do. Did I care? Did I care about the 50 odd quid I had to pay to get a ticket down that same night because I had my flatmates Halloween tickets for a party? No. We just beaten Sunland 5 1. Do you know what I mean? Come on. It's that. And I get I get it. If it was the other way around, you'd be absolutely good. But I don't know. I just I just miss that. that passion no, that. I completely understand it. It, it is it is a it, it's a huge part of the, the season, isn't it? Um yeah, I completely get it. Um I I think Sunderland are, I mean, I know that they're not anymore and it's been too long. As a club, they are a Premier League club. 
I mean, you can say that about far more than just 20 Premier League clubs, to be fair. I think there's, there's lots of them that. Um, and they certainly do not deserve the fans. I mean, you look at their... I know this is just a popular opinion. We're talking about unpopular opinions here. We won't, we won't go down well on a Newcastle podcast. We look at their away fans in League One. The first season, yeah, we all know, when Newcastle went into the Championship, it was a similar experience, isn't it? You know, and People also enjoy Burton. Actually, yeah, they did enjoy Burton. It was great, you know, because it's one season thing. To be fair to Sunderland now, they've had two seasons of it, and they still pack out their way ends. Obviously, mostly one clubs are, are quite wise to it and let them have loads of tickets, but they still follow them. And you think you, you got to think, God, they deserve a break at some stage, don't they? Mm-hmm. Especially with what's just happened this last week as well. And I mean, to be fair, it's not difficult to enjoy Burton away because it's just it's a, a it's wonderful play, and, and and got absolutely fantastic beer. Um, no, I do, and I think I think um, when the the season ticket. Stuff came out, was it last week or the week before? We, we all know Newcastle at the moment on offering any explanation, what have you. And I think Sunderland weren't initially, and then they, they have done, and then it's it's gone back and forth. And I think collectively, I think national journalists and Newcastle United fans and some fans all said, you know, we deserve better. You've got two very passionate set of fans up here. Um, and, you know, yeah, you know, you, you, you get, you get, certain sections that aren't very nice and that's on both sides but i think the majority are hard working they pay their money for the club and they deserve better than owners arguably treating them with the contempt i think and i you know i just yeah but look comes to derby day love being sun on it and just in case this gets out if i have to write a sun and story I, i am very neutral and objective to it so don't worry about that but this is a newcastle united podcast right here and yes, I miss Derby days, but I would love to see both clubs challenging for top honours. Stu, unpopular or popular opinion? It, it's an unpopular opinion. I would, I think Sunderland deserves to be back in the Premier League. I don't miss Derby days. And I don't think any fan of both clubs would like to see both clubs challenging at the top of the table. It's just too much at risk. Fantastic. Well, yeah. Well, I know I stick by it and yeah. If you you know where I am on Twitter if anyone disagrees. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, that has been episode three of Newcastle United Unpopular Opinions. If you would like to get involved, please do at me on Twitter or at uh, Everything Is Back on My Podcast or drop an email as well. And we, we'd love to collate some of your unpopular opinions as well and get them on. Uh, Stu, thank you very much for joining us. Oh, yeah. It's been the Everything Is Black and White podcast. Head over to Chronicle Live as well and we'll keep you date with all the latest Newcastle United news, including uh, Project Restart and Newcastle United Takeover. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you.